Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio. 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. Uh, thanks to the Ruminations crew for another great show highlighting issues around homelessness and rooming houses. Uh, hi, I'm Bill, and today my guests are members of Gamblers Anonymous, and they'll be talking about their experience of compulsive gambling and how Gamblers Anonymous has helped them to recover. Uh, I'd like to welcome Yvonne and Kathy to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hi. Hi, hi how Paul. are you? Good. Um, well, this week we'll probably do a little bit different in the format, and we'll talk about the fellowship and coming into the fellowship and what it's done for you first, and then we'll go back and look at how the hell you got there. Um, so, um, Yvonne, how long have you been in Gamblers Anonymous? Uh, well, tomorrow will be 17 years. Whoa. So, uh, yeah, big milestone for me. <laughs> so does that mean today is the last time you gambled? Correct. Wow. 14th of March 2002 is a night I will never forget. Right, okay. We'll get back there. <laughs> okay, so what's... Gamblers Anonymous done for you in that 17 years? Okay, in 17 years, it's done a hell of a lot. Um, it's given me a life today that is simple, as simple as I can make it on a daily basis. Um, but, you know, it allows me to be a human today. Um, and it's taken a while to get to this point. Obviously, it's, you know, a gradual progression over those years. And um, But, you know, it, it's about getting back to me and getting back to being a human who cares and is there for people um, and really there, not just saying they're there or, you know, pretending that they care and all that sort of stuff because that's what I was like when I was gambling. So this fellowship's given me a life that I'm proud to, to be part of today. You know, it's a life I'm, I'm grateful to wake up to each morning and, and live another day. Yeah. So what are the things you stop doing apart from gambling? Um, the lying, the cheating, the thieving, the <laughs> the lies to cover up the lies from yesterday, from last week, from last year. It's just it's just such a more serene lifestyle. You know, the head doesn't constantly churn twenty four seven. I'm able to concentrate on work and concentrate on my friends and family and and be part of society. Yeah. So a lot of people don't realise that you know, drinking and taking drugs and gambling involves this entire other life that you've got to keep secret, oh, yeah. it must be a huge amount of work to yeah. keep all that going. Yeah, it is. It, it's, you know, when I first came to the fellowship and started to get into some recovery and, and get some normal normalcy about my life, um, you know, there's many a time with other members at the, you know, over those years where we've sat there and gone, where did we fit in all the other stuff? How did we do <laughs> yeah. everything? Um, you know, but I definitely had a different persona for, you know, at work, at home, at you know, gambling, all that sort of stuff. It was it was different versions or what I thought was different versions of me. I don't have that anymore. I don't have to put on different faces for different people. I am who I am. Take me or leave me. Yeah, yeah, like it. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so what are, the, what are the options for a gambler if they keep on gambling? Oh. <laughs> Our literature talks about three things, and it's uh, prison, insanity, or death. Um, you know, I often talk about my, my what that means for me, and for me, I was insane to have definitely done the things that I did while I was gambling. Um, death is something I wanted to occur. I just wanted to be able to put my head down and not wake up. It was just I just couldn't deal with life. 
and thought everyone would be better off without me. Um, you know, that way all the troubles would just disappear, um, you know, but I couldn't actually go through with it. And prison is that third option and, you know, unfortunately, fortunately, actually fortunately, I've actually been there. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. Okay. Thanks. Um, so, Cathy, how about yourself? How long have you been in GA? Well, the 2nd of May this year, it'll be 12 years. So the 2nd of May wow. 2007 yeah. was my first meeting. Right. Okay. So, and what's it done for you? It has given me a normal life back. So whilst I was gambling, I was existing. I wasn't living. Um, I have now learnt to live the life that I had before I was gambling. It's given me a support network that I never had. Um, you know, it's given me a family. Basically, this is my second family, Gamblers Anonymous. Um, it's given me a very simple program to follow to the best of my ability to be able to survive and to live a normal way um, today. So um, I'm a very grateful member of GA um, and I need to get to my meetings every week in order to keep that recovery of mine going. So it's given me a recovery. It's given me a clear head. It's given me serenity. Yeah. It sounds like you're enthusiastic about life as well, which is I love positive. life. Yeah. <laughs> I love life now. I didn't love life when I was gambling. I didn't know what mm. life was when I was gambling. So I'm really enjoying life now. Mm. Uh, so one of the other things is it has enormous impact on your work, you know, your involvement in your family, involvement in work. So what was it like gambling and working and having that conflict of, of wanting to spend more time gambling but having to work to get that benefit? Uh, well, um, <laughs> initially um, I was working and I was doing well at my work and um, paying bills and um, I didn't have a family when I first started uh, gambling. I was single so a lot of my time um, I didn't have to explain anything to anybody. I did have a mortgage. I was paying off the mortgage. I was paying my bills but then everything else was going into um, my gambling. Then when I got married, um, you know, um, it was horses mainly that I was doing and then mm. I found the poker machines. But um, once I spiralled out of control, I didn't care about my family and I didn't care about work. There was no ambition, there was no efficiency, all my thoughts were on gambling. All I wanted to do was gamble. So I basically, uh, my thoughts were when I could find more money to go gambling and when I could find the time that nobody else knew about and a lot of that time was during my work. Mm, okay, thank you. Um, so, Yvonne, um, stopping gambling is one thing, but recovering is another. Mm. So what can you sort of talk about the difference between just stopping and, and yeah, getting better? Two very different things. Um, in, in, in my recovery, um, initially when I first came along to the fellowship, it was just about getting to each meeting and it was just about getting to that meeting each week. Um, it wasn't the most local meeting to me. It was just the first one I went to. It was one I was comfortable with. It was just what I needed to do each week to be able to, to live to get through week to week. Um, and then as the journey progresses, um, you know, I became more around. I went to a few more meetings, started to get around, meet a few other members, all that sort of stuff, and it was really good. Um, I did go to jail uh, probably about six or seven months in, um, and as soon as I got back out of jail, I came out on a Monday and went straight to, back to a meeting on Tuesday, and um, I haven't looked back since but um you know initially it was about just doing the right things and and doing the suggested stuff that's in the in the 
in our literature and stuff. And I, I got involved in the fellowship. You know, I wanted to stick around. I didn't want to be another person who walked back in the room saying, you know, I've done it all again and, you know, life's shit again. Um, I just wanted to stay on the right track. Um, initially, when I got back to the meetings after I'd been to jail, I did find myself in venues. Um, initially, it was under the, the the guise of catching up with friends for drinks and, you know, catching up. Um, but then I found myself still there a couple of weeks later, not catching up with anyone and realising that I had to make a change. And that was to stop going to venues, um, which is suggested in our literature. And, you know, so I got quite involved in the fellowship. I've held quite a lot of roles over the years and, and at group level. And I've opened meetings and, you know, been part of several meetings over those years you know I got to being nine years abstinent and I say abstinent because that's all I'd done you know I'd done a lot of steps meetings um, I'd done all the things that are suggested I was quite involved in the fellowship not only in Victoria but as a trustee which looks after Tasmania and South Australia as well um, I'd been traveling interstate to conferences and had a lot of friends from meeting them at national conferences and things like that but you know I got to nine years of abstinence and Life was great. Life was good. Work was good. You know, everything was under control. My debts were under control. All of that stuff was great. But I wasn't happy and I couldn't work out why. Um, And then it was talking to a few members and, you know, needing to get serious and needing to look after me and do stuff for me. And that's when I first got my sponsor. Um, My sponsor doesn't live in this state. (laughs) She's in another state altogether. But it still works. You know, there's still a phone. There's all that sort of stuff. We catch up at, you know, conferences and that sort of thing as well. But, you know, it wasn't until I started doing the steps one-on-one with the sponsor that I finally started to get me right. Um, And that's recovery. And that's a whole different ball game. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, So the difference is now that you you've been in long enough to have you know got recovery as well as abstinence so what's what's it like what's what's been taken away oh just not having your head full of rubbish 24/7 the constant thinking about where you're going to get more money from what lie you're going to tell you know who are you going to be what are you going to say what are you going to do i just take things as it comes now you know i'm just grateful to wake up each morning and face whatever the day has and usually that's work um you know if i've got prearranged plans with friends or family you know i do those i don't try and work out ways of getting out of it yeah. um or looking at the the watch and going oh i've spent 5 minutes at this party can i leave now? now um you know it's about caring for people and and you know really being there and you know the pressures of day-to-day life aren't i'm not going to say they're not bad we all have good days and bad days that's Mm. life but i have the ability and the tools that the program's provided to try and make better choices on a daily basis um i don't have the stressing of stuff you know i just take things as they come and if i need to do something i do you know there's um a serenity prayer that we use within the fellowship and i'm sure it's used in many other fellowships and people worldwide um but it's about you know letting go the things you can't change and you know if there is something you can change then basically get off my ass um and do something about it um and that's what i live my life by you know if it's something i can do i'll do it if it's something i need to let go i let go i don't sit and dwell on things and stress too much so that makes life so much easier to live and just happier yeah (laughs) happier the you know the serenity is there you know i can sit quietly for for time you know after work and just chill 
mm. and not have to be constantly active and thinking and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's a change. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Cathy, um, has it made you a stronger person in yourself? Absolutely. It, it, it has actually made me a better person and a stronger person even before I had started <laughs> gambling. So, you know, um, I um, always... Uh, like to be a people pleaser so I didn't like to say no I always wanted to please people I always wanted to be there for people um, so I would never say no anything that was asked of me I would do um, and you know and I have learnt through the program that sometimes you just can't help everybody and you can't do everything for everyone um, and I'm not perfect yet um, I still do have that try caring yeah. nature and try hard to yeah. help everybody. But there are times now where I can say no. I just have too much on. I can't do it. Um, you know, a big people pleaser that, that, you know, just couldn't cope with everything that was happening um, and every request that came through. So I have learned to say no. But it's also made me stronger in that... Um, I can actually talk. I used to run away from things, you know, arguments, um, frustrations. Um, I wasn't strong enough to able to deal with them. And I think a lot of my gambling is was running away from these pro problems. And what the program has actually shown me is that I'm strong enough to actually find solutions to those problems without running away from them, without turning to gambling to, to help me find solutions. I've learnt coping mechanisms. I've learnt that I need to speak to people and that I can't do things on my own. Yeah, um, so one, yeah. the, the support, I need the support. I think I was a very... Um, proud person that didn't want to accept that I couldn't do it on my own, that I could always give up gambling when I wanted to. And through the program, I've learnt that I can't do it on my own. I need the support. So the people within the fellowship are my support people, although I have family who are very supportive and have been supportive right throughout until today, um, they just don't understand the program. So I'm stronger in that I can ask for assistance now that I can ask for help. So I have become a much stronger person in myself and learnt some of my weaknesses that I've learnt to deal with. So, yeah. yeah. So do you love yourself? I do. Yeah. I really do like yeah. myself today. I like the person I am. Uh, when I was gambling, I was just a miserable, horrible monster. I really was that hurt a lot of people along the way. So I do like myself now. Um, so has it enabled you to to give back? It has enabled me to give back. Uh, through the fellowship, firstly, I've got involved. Um, I know when I first came to the meetings, um, there was a lot of very supportive person, people there. And uh, they, uh, within the first six months, you know, we need secretaries, we need people to, um, you know, take on and open up the meetings. So they asked me to take on that role. And I Although I was a bit hesitant, um, I did it and um, it actually helped me because I knew that if I was there opening up the doors, that there was always going to be a meeting to help somebody, regardless of whether there was one person, yeah. two people. So, But also it has helped me in that um, I, I'm now retired and I've taken on some voluntary work. Um, had I been gambling, there is no way that I would have even thought about helping anybody else. I've learnt to help myself and now I want to give back. Um, and through this voluntary work, I've become more appreciative of my life, seeing that there are other people out there who've that, got a lot worse, who have yeah. got a lot worse yeah. situations than myself. So, yeah, I am giving back in any way I can. Yeah. yeah. So why did you come to GA? Why did I come to GA? Yeah. 
I came to GA to save my marriage. <laughs> Didn't come to save myself. I came to save my marriage. So I had been caught out a number of times and I'd promised on numerous occasions that I would give up. And, of course, those promises were always, you know, there was no, there was no, I was always going back to gambling. Um, so the last time um, um, I got caught, my husband said to me, um, it's either the marriage or, you know, getting yourself some proper help. And I didn't know where to go. Um, and then my sister stepped in and she took me along to my first um, meeting. So initially I went to save my marriage and initially I thought it was going to be a miracle cure where I could <laughs> be there for a month, two months, and I would be completely cured. And that first meeting, it really opened up my eyes. It opened up my eyes that I am a compulsive gambler. So I accepted that I was a compulsive gambler and that I needed to be there because it was something that couldn't be cured. And I needed to be there for the rest of my life, attending those meetings, um, because without those meetings, um, as Yvonne had pointed out, it would have been prison yep. or death. I was already insane. Yeah. So. <laughs> Okay, thank you. Uh, well, listen, we might take a break. Uh, you're listening to The Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. Uh, I'll just play a quick info on podcasts and streaming. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. On Living Free, we also have over 70 episodes available as podcasts, and they're available on our webpage, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. So you can check them out. You can also contact us via 3CR on 03 9419 8377 or email us on 3CRLivingFree at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter as 3CRLivingFree. Um, so I'm chatting with Yvonne and Cathy and we're talking about gambling, compulsive gambling, and how Gamblers Anonymous can help. Um, so Yvonne, going back to the start, what sort of family did you grow up in and did that have any influence on your gambling do you think um yeah okay so i grew up in the western suburbs of melbourne um parents both worked in a factory they were migrants um we had everything we needed um but you know we were i don't know middle class maybe lower class um it was a tough upbringing in the sense of you know ethnic parents who you know we didn't go to friends houses and play dates and sleepovers and that sort of thing. Um, we did play with our friends out in the street back then, back in the days when you could play out on the street and not get run over um, many moons ago. But, um, you know, the upbringing was fairly fairly simple and fairly, I think, straightforward as much as it could be. You know, we didn't have lunch money every day for lunch orders at the canteen or anything like that. But, um, you know, growing up, it, it seemed okay. You know, we did a lot of things as a family and that sort of thing through my primary school years. And um, But I always did feel a bit different to everyone else. Um, you know, and then it was uh, high school was a whole different kettle of fish. Uh, at that stage, we moved across town to uh, a bayside suburb, which I really didn't want to live in. <laughs> um, went to a school with a whole bunch of people that I thought were just... Yeah, they were different. They were definitely different. Wankers. Uh, sorry? Wankers. <laughs> they were just... Uh, it was different. It was the other side. You know, yeah. for me, it was the other side of the tracks and it was somewhere I didn't want to be. It was people I didn't really think I, I was 
the same as, you know, I'd left all my friends behind, um, you know, I was all geared up to go to school on the other side and then we moved. And not only did we move, but we also had a couple of businesses. So for me, it was, you know, straight after school would be straight to the, to the shops and to work and to prepare and, you know, we were constantly doing stuff. So as I said before, we didn't have, you know, play dates and go going back to friends' houses and doing your homework or going on school camps or any of that sort of stuff. Didn't do any of that. Um, so for me, it was fairly tough and and for my brother my brother grew up the same he's a couple of years um younger than me but we grew up the same and then we had a, another brother who was quite a few years behind us and you know he was the baby of the family at the time and you know school was school got through that and um after school you know it was um you know, I found myself in, in high school always mixing with the wrong crowd. I was always in the bad crowd, constantly pushing those boundaries and that sort of thing. And I think, you know, wanting things to come easy and, and feeling like the world owed me or something. Um, and I think that's part of it in the background of, you know, when I was gambling, it was about, you know, thinking it was easy money and wanting to have that big win and, and feeling like I was owed and... Um, you know, when I was punting and, you know, gambling in, in front of a machine sitting there thinking I, I need to de-stress because the boss is a prick and, you know, I'm treated wrongly and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, whether that actually led me to gambling, I don't know. I think it was just a an escape for me. My gambling was definitely an escape from reality and, and just not wanting to deal with all those life's issues, um, you know, and it was just easier because, you know, you basically shut your head off. Um, as one person says, uh, you know, you chop your head off and leave it at the front door and you pick it up on your way out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but when you pick it up on the way out, all that stuff's still in your head. You know, you haven't solved any problems. You've just created more because, again, I've walked out with no money, uh, swearing black and blue, not going to do it again and, you know, just be back there again as soon as I had money in my hand again. It was just insane. Mm. But, um, yeah, it was just not a not a way to live. But um, yeah, don't know. I don't know how my upbringing, if it did have an effect. I know my dad used to gamble a lot, um, but yeah, I, I don't know if it's nature, nurture, genes. Reality is, I know that I'm a compulsive gambler now, and I'll die a compulsive gambler. I'm grateful for knowing that to know what was wrong with me and how I can fix it, and that's by you know attending my meetings, staying involved. Okay, thanks. Uh, so, what about you, Kathy? What was growing up like for you? Uh, like Yvonne, um, migrant parents who worked very hard, came to Australia with nothing, um, worked very hard and um, had, you know, um, one thing on their mind and that was to raise their family and uh, get them educated. Education was um, a very important thing in our family. So it was all about getting, um, you know, the, the girls educated, um, my sister and myself, and uh, a better future for us than, than they had, um, you know, working in factories, um, overtime, um, paying mortgage. Um, it, was, it, was, it was a very happy, we didn't miss out on anything. Um, it was a very happy family life. You know, we didn't have holidays overseas, but we did have holidays here in uh, Victoria. You know, we'd go down to Indented Heads for our summer holidays. Um, and it was nice. It was a happy lifestyle. It was a happy, simple lifestyle. But it was quite difficult, you know, um, at primary school growing up um, as migrant uh, children. And um, in the 70, 60s and 70s, you know, um, we were accepted, but we found it hard to be accepted. So I tried very hard to be accepted and yeah. tried to be very Australian. But with a very strict upbringing, um, you know, not being able to have friends over, not being able to go to friends' house, it, it was very difficult. So, um, you know, there was a lot of time that um, I would have to make... Um, 
those little white lies and yeah. uh, do things. Um, so I couldn't speak to my parents and talk to them. So I used to lie and used to, you know, wag school and all of those other things. <laughs> um, but it was it was trying to conform to you know the the Australian way of life when you're being brought up in a, in a in a, an ethnic household. But um, look, you know. Um, Gambling was um, part of the family life. Um, I remember um, at our family outings, the men would gather up at the end of the night and play cards and we'd be there till all hours while they finished playing cards. And um, although, you know, my father uh, did did that, um, it wasn't until we uh, got into our college years that, um, you know, my father and we both had uh, part-time jobs and were able to support ourselves that my father started gambling more and uh, he was out all night and I remember the phone calls from my mum trying to find him and the money uh, issues that arose as a result and I always promised that I would never gamble having seen all of that in my life but Lo and behold, you know, that one day did turn up where I met some people who had a um, race horse and we went and watched that horse race and I won some money and it just went from there. So, um, you know, I don't know if, if you know, it's in the genes or what have you. All I know is that I had that choice and I chose the wrong choice and I went down the path of gambling. But, um, you know, it was a happy, happy family life, just... Um, a bit difficult where I had to sort of confirm to to be to be Australian, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't know. Uh, yeah. It has nothing to do with gambling. Uh, it was my choice to go gambling, and it was my choice to let it spiral out of control. So. Yeah. Well, not your, probably not your conscious choice, but not my yeah, conscious choice, but, but the yeah. actions. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, what? How did you view your dad's gambling? Did you see that as a serious problem? From your perspective now, did you sort of... Now I do, yes. Yeah. Now I recognise that he did have a very serious problem. Mm. Um, at the time? At the time, no. At the time I knew there was some problems and I knew my mum was, was, was making calls and there was arguments um, and, and you know, mum would cry and... Um, but I just thought, oh well, it's you know, it's a problem. Every family has problems, um, and and that's just a problem that they're going to get through. And they always did. They always managed to get through, you know, very many happy years of marriage. Um, but you know, there was always, um, and I knew he was borrowing money because he would even come to us and ask for money, but he would pay it back. Okay, so he would yeah. borrow the money and he would pay it back. So and. I just thought it was part of life. Yeah. But the arguments, I do remember the arguments that were, were really, really bad. Um, yeah. So so but, was he still alive when you got into Gamblers Anonymous? Yes, he was. Yeah. Oh, no, he wasn't. Oh, he okay. wasn't alive. He okay. passed away the year before. Okay, right. In a very tragic accident. So he passed away the year before. Okay, yeah. I thought that would have been a good perspective to... <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, so how about you, um, Yvonne? Your, your dad, Gamble, was he... A, was he alive when you got into GA? Yes. Yeah, when I first came into the fellowship, um, the night I had to tell my parents that I was a liar, thief, a cheat uh, and was facing jail, you know, for me, even today, it's still been the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Um, unfortunately, I did lose my dad about two and a half years ago. So he was alive when I went into the fellowship, um, you know, and... As much as I think Kathy touched on it before, you know, the family are there to support you and love you, and, and mine definitely did, and they still do. Um, they never really understood what the fellowship means for me or how it works. You know, I have a sister-in-law who keeps questioning me how long this course of meetings <laughs> goes for. 
uh, when I first got out of jail, I remember her asking me, you know, when does this course, you know, how long did the judge give you to go to these meetings? Um, and I've, you know, over the years have tried several times to explain to them it's not something I have to do by someone else. It's something I do for myself, which allows me to be the person they know and love today. Um, so, you know, as far as my dad goes, I know that when I first um, told them what was happening and I was start first in the fellowship and... And leading into those months, leading up to court, I know that my folks blamed themselves in many ways. They thought that they'd done something wrong or they didn't do enough or... They'd let you down. Let yeah. me down. And, yeah. you know, it was that, you know, self-loathing and all that sort of stuff. And I just couldn't explain to them that it had nothing to do with them. You know, they're mm. just that's just the way they are. Um, you know, but, yeah, there was a lot of that. Um, you know, Dad actually did stop playing as much on the tats and stuff like that. Um, so that was, you know, it had an effect me landing where I did. Yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, yeah, interesting times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when you started going to the pokies, mm. it was a social thing. Yeah. And did you enjoy it? Not initially. See, this is a this is the thing I, I go back to is, um, you know, the first time the girlfriend sort of said, you know, because we used to go out and it used to be we'd go out for dinner and then we'd go out to the clubs. And then when the pokies sort of came in, we sort of interjected that into our nightly um, program. And, and then soon enough, the dinner sort of dropped off and, you know, it was going to the pokies. And it was just, I couldn't understand why I'd waste time doing it, let alone the money we were spending. But back then it was, you know, sharing a cup of coins as most people will probably yeah. recognise, you know, and it was just that social aspect, but I thought it was a waste of time and a waste of money. Um, but, you know, it didn't take long and I got hooked and I started going a couple of times a week on my own that no one actually knew about. So why why do you think, what was the attraction? I don't know. Yeah. I, I, to be absolutely honest, I don't know. You know, in my life, I've always said that I, I've always thought I had control over everything I did and how I did it and when I did it and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And with the gambling, initially, I think it was just a, an escape. You know, it was a bit of chill time. It was a bit of, you know, de-stress time um, and that sort of thing. But And I thought I was spending what I called my spending money. So I wasn't mm. doing anyone any harm. Mm. I wasn't doing myself any harm at the time. But then, God, I, you know, that invisible line that they talk about was definitely invisible because I don't know when I crossed it and I didn't have a choice about gambling or not gambling. It was just something I needed to do. Um, and, yeah, so, yeah, initially I couldn't understand why I would do it and then next thing I know I'm hooked. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's just nuts. Yeah. So with you, Cathy, then, so friends with the racehorse, you have a bet, you have a win. Was that enough to trigger that? Attraction? It certainly was. Yeah. It certainly was. I was looking forward to the next time I was went, went to the races to have another win. Um, so yeah, it was it was enough to to get me onto the horses. Um, and then so it was the races every week, and then um, started putting on bets during my lunchtime at work. And then uh, the pokies came along, and I used to look at people sitting in front of the machines, and I used to think. Um, what is the attraction? You know, how could you possibly get any enjoyment? At least with horse racing, you can watch a race, you can have a drink, you know, you can yeah. <laughs> have a chat with somebody. What's the attraction of sitting in front of a machine, feeding notes into this machine and just watching those um, reels spin? Anyway, um, I um, sat down one day after the races at a venue um, and uh, I just thought, oh, I'll just go and see what, what this is all about. And I put some money in and I had a nice big win. And, you know, this was great. Went back to the bar, shouted everybody at the bar. And I thought, wow, 
this is easy. This is actually easier than, than <laughs> trying to study the form and trying to pick a winner. And <laughs> and that's where it all started. Um, so, yeah, the first win, though, was, yeah, it, I wanted another one. It was yeah. like an adrenaline, adrenaline rush, and I just wanted the next one. I wanted another win. Right, okay. Thanks. Well, so we might take another break. Uh, you're listening to Living Free on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Um, I'm talking with Yvonne and Cathy, and we're talking about gambling, compulsive gambling, and how Gamblers Anonymous can help. Um, so we've sort of got up to the point where you've got into serious gambling. So mm-hmm. I guess the next thing is about looking at where that takes you and the sort of things that you do while you're <laughs> involved. So, Yvonne, you know, spending more and more time gambling mm-hmm. and more money. Yep. So life must be becoming very complicated. Very complicated. <laughs> um, very weird-ass complicated. Um, look, for me it was, um, you know, my gambling, as I said, has started with uh, what I called my spending money and then it was all my pay and then it was a whole batch of credit cards. And when I say a whole batch of credit cards, there were a lot of them. Um, and then it was taking from work and, you know, that first time, and I say first time because originally I thought it was going to be a one-time um, but the first time I took that money, you know, I, in my head I had that dream world of, you know, having that big win and paying off my debts and, you know, paying the money back and just by some miracle just never gambling again. Um, in reality, all it was was another bit of money touching my palm that went into a machine or on a table, um, you know, and then it was just more and more and more because I just needed to be in action. Um, you know, having that dream of, of having that big win went away and it wasn't even about a win. It was just needing to be in action. Um, you know, I recall there were many nights where I'd be sitting in front of a machine, eyes popping out of my head, hadn't slept in three nights and all I wanted to do was get rid of the money I had to be able to walk out and go home and go to sleep and, you know, as most people are aware with poker machines, you know, it gives you little dribbles that just keep you going. Yeah. Um, and eventually it does run out and it eventually it did run out and eventually I did walk out and, again, swearing black and blue, I can't believe I've done it again. I, you know, I don't want to do this anymore, but I just, I just had to. It was – I didn't have control over it. Um, you know, and so it was the same story day in, day out. It just um, – you know, it just gets so out of control you don't know what to do. Like I knew that what I was doing couldn't possibly be normal. I knew that there was something wrong. But at the time I didn't know there was a thing called compulsive gambling. I didn't know that I had become a compulsive gambler. I didn't know there was a place called Gamblers Anonymous. You know, I'd heard of Alcoholics Anonymous, didn't really know what that was though either. Um, you know, so... I just didn't know where to turn to for help. I couldn't put my hand up and say, hey, I need help. I've tried to a couple of times at work, like after I'd taken that money a few times. Um, you know, I had a close relationship with the people that I worked with. Um, you know, there were quite a few times in my head it was like, right, I need to sit them down and have a chat and explain what's going on and ask for help. I just could never do it. Mm. I could just never do it. I was the person that everyone came to with all their problems, all all their issues, and I was there to help them with all of their yeah. stuff. I just couldn't help myself, you know, and it just got to a point where, you know, 
I knew where I'd end up and, you know, I got the sack from that job due to my inefficiency, um, got another job fairly quickly in the same industry due to my reputation and, you know, it was a few months after that I finally got the, the call from the ex-boss saying, you know, where's this money? Um, and that's when, you know, the shit hit the fan, so to speak. But um, it's just insane like I said, you have the different facades. You have the persona at work and the persona at home and the persona with your friends. And it's just one big lie. You know, yeah. you, you don't know, you know, I mean, an example is, you know, there was a friend of mine that got engaged and, you know, I was tossing up whether or not to go to this engagement party because I didn't have any money to buy a gift. And, you know, so then I ended up going and, and, you know, a couple of weeks later we were all catching up for lunch and people were talking about the thank you cards they'd received. And I got really irate because I didn't receive a thank you card. And, you know, I took a gift and it was a gift voucher and I put it on the table and someone must have pinched it and how dare they. And I was all uppity about it. Reality is I didn't take anything. Yeah. I didn't give them anything. <laughs> but in my head, you start believing those lies. Mm. You know, it becomes real. And that's, you know, that's part of the insanity of it all. It's just ridiculous. Mm. So did you know how much money you had taken? I had no clue. Yeah. You know, when the boss first sat me down or I met up with him and he asked how much. And I, I, in my head, I thought I had a figure. Um, and I thought that was approximately what I'd taken. In reality, when I sort of sat down that night and had to go through my bank statements and make a note, I've got it. And I've actually got a list of all the transactions, which I've still kept to this day for some stupid reason. Um, but it was more than double what I thought in my head. It was just mm. ridiculous. You know, yeah. it was just insane. <laughs> So you talked before about having to, the worst thing was having to tell your family. So what was the process of telling your family? So what had happened is um, I got the phone call from the boss and at the time I was living at home and, and um, you know, he called the house phone and, you know, I can't remember, one of my parents answered and then they said, oh, you know, he's on the phone. So I picked it up and he started talking to him and I said, I'm not talking to you on the phone. I'll come and meet you. Because um, at this stage no one knew. Mm. No one knew about my gambling. Um, it was, you know, it was just something I had kept quiet Best from kept everyone. Secret. Yeah, yeah, yeah mm. big time. So I went and met him uh, the next day and left that meeting with him in the afternoon, still thinking in my head that I might be able to borrow the money from somewhere to pay it back or take out a loan or, I don't know, maybe I can find a friend with a lot of money and, uh, you know, just all the ridiculous stuff thinking I could get out of this. Um, Realising that it wasn't going to happen, spoke to a girlfriend that afternoon and, and she came with me to tell my brothers that night. Um, and then the next night, my two brothers came with me to tell my folks and, you know, it wasn't an easy thing to do. You know, I'm still living under their roof and, as you know, I had to stand in front of them and tell them that I was a liar, thief, a cheat and I was facing jail. You know, no one in my family had ever gone to jail. No one had ever actually been in trouble with the police of, you know, possibly facing jail. Um, you know, and it was just, you know, it was – I was ashamed – I was feeling guilty, um, I was remorseful, all of that stuff, but it was stuff that I couldn't change. Um, and, and having to face them and tell them, I thought they'd rant and rave and kick me out of the house and do all that stuff. And all they did was sit there and age in front of me, and mm. that's something I will never forget, um, you know, because it was, as I said earlier, you know, after that, you know, the family rallied round and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, they blamed themselves and, you know, my brothers did what they could and, you know, my brother got onto a solicitor and, you know, started getting things in order and, 
you know, stepped in and tried to help and all that sort of thing. And, and he's the one that got me to my first meeting. You know, mm. I didn't find GA. Um, he found it for me. I still haven't had the courage to actually ask him how he came across it. Um, you know, I've thanked him a couple of times over the years, but, you know, he got me to my first meeting. So, you know, for me to, f- to have found GA, I think, is a miracle in itself in that sense. Um, yeah. So I'm just really grateful, you know, for the support and stuff that I had at the time and, and still do have today. Mm. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, so what about you, Cathy? So races, uh, betting on the races was terrific, but the pokies gave you immediate pleasure absolutely yeah absolutely and there was no thinking about it all it was was putting um some notes into a machine and uh and uh pressing a button and the lights and the music and the um the excitement of it all it was it was it was that was the second adrenaline hit um you know and it was easier than waiting for a race although you know these days there's a race every whatever minutes um back then it wasn't that that quite that regular but um it was you know it was just something that um i didn't have to think about i could just zone out um and just press a button and keep pressing that button and um and yeah, it just sucked me in very, very, very quickly. Right. Very so, how frequently did were you gambling? Okay, um, in in the height of my gambling, it was every single day. So you know, right. even during work, um, I would go to work in the morning. I would get things done in the morning. Um, initially, it started at lunch times, and then it progressed to all afternoon. But the morning was spent getting everything done that I needed to get done, and then the afternoon was spent in front of a machine. And then weekends would be either going to races or going to venues with my husband because my husband really didn't think I had a problem, had no idea I had the run of the finances. So I, uh, you know, Rod, Peter, pay Paul and, as Yvonne said, credit card and personal loans and um, just... It's crazy. Was, it was very, very easy for me. And my poor husband, and as I said on numerous occasions, he had no idea, absolutely none whatsoever. So how did you get into Gamblers Anonymous? Uh, my sister, um, I'm very, very, very grateful to my sister. Um, initially, um, you know, I'd been caught a number of times and I'd promised never to do it again. And of course, I got into it and in an even bigger way than what it was before. Um, my sister did um, find some help through a social worker, but uh, they told me exactly what I wanted to hear is that I could be a normal gambler, even though deep down inside I knew I couldn't. Um, I knew that when I went into a venue, I would actually spend everything I had and everybody else had around me. Um, but then um, the last time I cleaned out my daughter's bank account, my husband said that was enough and that he would leave me um, and take my daughter if I didn't get proper help. I didn't know what that proper help was. Um, and my sister stepped in again and found GA for me. And I am ever so grateful to her for taking me to my first meeting. Mm. F- uh, families... If families aren't there, it's a lot harder for the you know, it, for the person affected. It certainly is. Yeah. You know, the support yeah. of the family, even yeah. my husband, I have got his support. I think he just had enough of my broken promises and had no idea where to go. Um, and, of course, I had no idea where to go. Not that I thought I needed help because I didn't think I was a compulsive gambler and that I could do it all on my own. But, um, no, the support of the family, even though, although my sister did gamble, um, so she sort of went down that path, yeah. but didn't didn't <laughs> quite get to the stage that I got to. So um, yeah, ever so grateful to my sister and my brother in law who took me to my first meeting, mm. found my first meeting and took me there. Yeah, 
Good. So what was that first meeting like? Do you have many memories? Oh, I remember that meeting like it was yesterday. I walked in there and uh, saw a big group. It was a big group, um, you know, all ages, um, sexes, you know, male, female, um, you know, of all different, um, you know, socioeconomic levels. It wasn't just lower income. It was professionals. It was, and I just thought, wow. Um, and I sat down and I listened to the stories and I remember every single story that was, was told to me. Like I said before, I thought I could go in there for two months, three months, and I'd have a magic cure. From that first from that first meeting, I really found out that there is no magic cure and it's a lot of hard work and it's just a matter of getting to a meeting and following a simple program and listening and learning. Um, you know, I, I didn't think my obsessions would ever leave, but I still remember that once um, share that I heard that the urges and the obsessions had left. So that meeting to me, um, as I say, I just remember it like it was yesterday. I will never forget it and the, the stories that I heard and I listened and I learned and I thought, this is no different to my story and I'm not alone mm. and I do need support. I can't do it by myself. Yeah. And I haven't looked back. Yeah. So you could accept the fact that you were a compulsive gambler on that first on that first, first on yeah. that very, very yeah. first date, just from listening and hearing and thinking, Wow, I am a compulsive gambler. I can never gamble normally again. So I wasn't hearing what I wanted to hear yeah. <laughs> that I could, you know, be a normal gambler. And that, um, you know, there is a magic cure. There is no magic cure. I have to work at it and, and actually get support and help. Mm. So how long did it take before the urge to gamble left you? Four years into the program and um, I still had urges. I still had obsessions. I remember that um, I uh, moved my work from the suburbs and I moved into the city across from the big house, from the casino. And I sat at my desk and I thought, wow, I'm across the road from the casino. I can just go across and have a bet and nobody will know. Um, and it took a couple of phone calls, firstly to my husband and secondly to some people at GA to actually discuss what I was thinking <laughs> and how I was feeling. Um, you know, and today I can say that I don't have those urges and I don't have those obsessions, but I know how quickly they could come back. Mm. I know how quickly um, they can come back if I don't work this program, if I don't go to my meetings and if I don't talk to people. Um, you know, I can let my guard down. And as, um, you know, the program says, it's a day at a time. So yep. if I get through today without gambling and having any urges, it's a great day. Right. Thank you. Um, if uh, you'd like to find out more about Gamblers Anonymous, then you can phone them on 03 9696 6108 or you can go online at Uh That's about all we've got time for today. Uh, so I'd like to thank Yvonne and Cathy for coming in today and sharing their Gamblers Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for thank having you, us. Thank you, Bill. I uh, hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about recovery from compulsive drinking and we'll be joined by Brad and Dean from Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, stay tuned now for Black Noise Radio, hosted by Kerry Lee and featuring black news and views, current affairs, music, sport, culture and the arts, all from an Aboriginal woman's perspective. Uh, thanks again for listening to the Living Free Program. 